I wanted that journey to be as hard as it could be and, and now I got the opportunity and now I was going to see what it was made of you know seventh episode of the on earth podcast uh happy christmas happy christmas to everybody listen thanks very much for tuning in uh the voice you heard there it was not me it was our guest today mr damien brown uh i was massively massively excited to get damien on the podcast uh, i couldn't believe it really when uh, he he agreed to sit down um so I'll just i'll just give a quick intro for who Damien is for anyone wondering uh, so Damien was a professional rugby player with Leinster and Connacht and in England and in France as well a 12 year career uh, played for Ireland as well um, since then he's gained notoriety I suppose for some of the personal challenges he's undertaken so he completed the six six back to back marathons in the Sahara Desert called the Marathon de Sabla um, this time last year he was about three or four days into um, a solo Atlantic row which took him 63 days to complete uh, an outrageous achievement and is currently in the middle of completing the seven summits um, to be honest behind all these achievements is a mindset that really predicts him uh, I found Damien's insights not only from today but from, from following him in, through his social media channels and previous interviews but I thought particularly today as well his insights and experiences um they hit at what I think is self-awareness and self-care at its absolute optimum. Uh, David's perspective on all things self-awareness is, is superb. Um, while we dip in and out of, of school and education and what we feel should be taught and the general theme of the podcast, I suppose, uh, so far, um, I found pretty much everything the man said to be massively educational and massively insightful. Um, we get kind of straight into the chat. We talk about the role which Damien kind of introduces and talks about his TED Talk he recently undertaken, which is now available to view on YouTube. But uh, throughout the chat, it's very, very honest and raw experiences, which I hope you enjoy. Um, I really, really enjoyed the chat. Like I said, couldn't believe that I got the time to talk to him. So, um, yeah, really, really hope you enjoy it. Just before I play the audio, just again, just to let people know that there are six other episodes of the podcast, we've got some really good interviews there with the likes of Jerry Duffy, Shayla Strange, Davy Pear, Paul Mooney, Paul Dermody, um, all available to to listen to for free on SoundCloud. And uh, we'd really appreciate a like or a share. Tell your mate about it. Um, all these things help the podcast to grow and just gets the word out there, I suppose. And the more people listen to it the more feedback we get the more we can kind of change things around um, but yeah that's that's not that's not too important anyway here's the seventh episode of the podcast with Mr. Damien Brown Damien how's form how are you keeping I'm keeping very well Michal how are you not so bad man not so bad you're you're just back from a TED talk I believe yeah um, I got um, an invitation maybe two months ago and it was, I was told that it was between me and another guy. And they actually decided to pick the other guy. But uh, he cancelled. Anyway, uh, I was given another opportunity to take up um, the chance. And I just couldn't turn it down. TED Talk, like I mean, or TEDx Talk. Huge opportunity and a good chance for me to do something that scares me a little bit. You know, so... Uh, 
went pretty well. It wasn't perfect, but um, yeah, listen, I'm absolutely content that I took up the opportunity. And, um, you know, in three weeks, tried to write a talk, learn it off, and make sure it was some way good or there was some value in it, at least for people. So uh, hope, hope there will be when it, when it comes out. Yeah, I can. I'll be fairly confident it will. I'm interested to see a grimace small bit there when you talk about something that scares you. I'd say it's a pretty tough job to find something that scares you at the moment, is it? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm definitely becoming more um, immune to fear. Uh, I think the more you push yourself towards it, when we're honest to yourself, they find out what fears you and stray towards it. Um, the next time you face something fearful or scary, you know, it's not so bad. You better arm take it on again. So, you know, public speaking was probably one of my things that scared me, you know, because um, don't have a great history with it. Uh, I was best man at a mate's funeral, or uh, wedding, um, excuse me, um, uh, quite a few years ago. Made an absolute hash of it. Had too much to drink before the wedding. Uh, so, um, that left some deep scars, but um, I'd like to think I'm overcoming them now. Yeah, class, class. Now, I suppose that that kind of uh, mindset you have is what really drew me towards you. In that, I was lucky enough. It was David, and um, I was telling you about David there before the um, before we started recording. He was doing his big cycle there from India up towards Nepal, and he sent me on some of the stuff you were doing there, just as you were starting your row. And I suppose it was that kind of feeling, the fear attitude that really brought me in and I'm sure brought so many other people into it. Um, I'm interested, Damien, right? So I suppose how, the, how we're going to chat, not to preclude it too much, is I want to, the questions I'd love to ask you from following you for so long, and maybe we might bend it towards education towards the end. But so, that, so there's something uh, a manager once said to me, a soccer manager once said, that sport doesn't build character, it reveals it, right? Now, I can't empathise whatsoever what you did. The only thing I have anyway comparable is a couple of weeks ago I did the Dublin Marathon, right? And I was halfway through it and uh, I was all going grand. And I noticed that my kind of watch was out of sync. So I kind of started panicking because I had a bit of a time in mind. And I was when I knew that my watch was kind of out of sync, it kind of blew that a bit. Then I started getting a rake of cramps anyway. And the last <laughs> the last hour was muck, like it was muck. It was, it was walking, running, walking, running, this kind of thing. But... um. I suppose I wanted to do it to to the thing of revealing character, and I suppose it kind of revealed that maybe, uh, maybe when I when the when the option of walking came into it, maybe I jumped it a bit too soon, that kind of thing. Um. Anyway, that's 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 not really comparable to what to what you're talking about. But I'm interested in the sixty three day row, right? What what aspects do you reflect on that? Do you feel that I revealed about yourself? Right. So, yeah, sixty three days is a long time, and you know, obviously, I. I I lived every single minute of those, so um, I, I could probably speak on it for a week and, and not um, not articulate everything I went through. But there was definitely some things about myself I saw and I didn't like, and some things I did like. Um, to put it really simply, you know, um, I noticed that like the the lower I got, the more attracted I was to um, instant gratification. Things like um, uh, chocolate on the like simply chocolate like you know um, things like masturbation believe it or not wow. um, yeah really like it's a real simple thing but like it might be something there's a lot of noise in life and a lot of distractions and it might be something you see right 
very clearly, but when you're out there, there's fuck all distractions. I mean, you've got one job to do. Um, and when I was really down on myself or when I was in a dark place, I noticed that those were little things that I went towards, you know. Um, it just revealed it. And then on the other side of things, I saw parts of my character that I absolutely loved. Like, I mean, the day the steering broke and I had 2,000 miles to go um, still, and I'm, I'm rudderless now in the middle of the Atlantic, um, the way I reacted to that was like just, it was almost like I processed the whole thing incredibly quickly, put a positive spin on it. You know, I wanted that journey to be as hard as it could be. And, and now I got the opportunity and now I was going to see what it was made of, you know, because um, if I was to imagine that happening, I would imagine that would hit somebody pretty hard for like at least 24 hours, if not three or four days, you'd just be feeling sorry for yourself, lamenting your own misfortunes. Um, but I didn't. I mean, it was nearly like instant where I went through this whole process in my head and I was just going, you know, I know I'd had some issues up until that, so I got kind of good at dealing with stuff, but I was like, what good is a second or a minute or a day or two weeks spent here feeling sorry for yourself and, you know, like I said, loading your misfortune when you've got one job to do and the way to do it is to row and get across. So, you know, I just, I give all the control back to myself and uh, completely spun the situation in a positive and just got to work, got to control and what I could control. And uh, the thing, the great thing about the ocean, like I mentioned before, is that it just strips all that crap away, like all that shit you deal with in everyday life, you know, especially when you're out there on your own, it's just you versus you versus the ocean. Um, and those things became very clear to me, you know, those edge edges of the spectrum, if you want, you know, the really lows and the really like highs is the wrong way to put it. But in a way, the things, the big, huge things that went wrong out there were highs, you know, so um, you might get to see those things very often in, in daily life because you just, you don't, you don't get to those edges of the kind of uh, the life spectrum, you know, the extremes. Um, but when you're out there, um, they become very, very clear because it's such a simple uh, existence. Yeah, no, brilliant. <clears throat> it's, yeah, it, it's taken me a bit back there because I remember you listening to you speak um, on another podcast and even on your own social media about that time when the the boat flipped and you talked about um, maybe harnessing some of the mindfulness, mindfulness skills you had and the process skills you had, but to enact that at the time, I can imagine, was massively impressive. And it's cool that you draw on both ends, that you're able to be kind of almost dispassionately aware of your own self and that you're able to analyse your weaknesses and your strengths. That's something we'll get on later to talking about school. That's something definitely I'm trying to work on myself and trying to get into the kids, just being a bit more dispassionate, I suppose, about yourself. There's there's another thing just that interests me in... Sorry to cut you off. You know, Sorry. Like, I've noticed, like, is that if you can actually... There's a part of you that you can... Um, explore and kind of um, develop as a, a kind of external or an internal witness so witnessing your thoughts almost from a, a high or witnessing your awareness or witness witnessing um, what's going through your head simply all those things are the same thing I suppose but like I, I have found that just through my training and expeditions and, and life as a rugby player I, that's something I'm constantly working on and the more I work on it the the stronger the relationship becomes and it's it's yeah it's 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 kind of like he 
he, she, whatever it is, is a kind of like separate entity. It's inside me, but it's actually constantly analyzing um, my thoughts and figuring out why and questioning why. And just uh, what I found is the more I've, I've developed that and strengthened that kind of relationship with that witness is like, you know, you, 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 you put yourself, you can, you can always bring yourself back into a really strong place. You don't go down these kind of, you know, shitty rabbit holes of kind of, um, you know, feeling sorry for yourself. You know, you're able to bring yourself out of them really quickly. So it's, uh, it's something I'm only, something I'm working on as well all the time. But, um, yeah, I feel the stronger that relationship becomes, the, I don't know, the more, the more, I don't know, content I become with myself or something like that. Yeah. So, so the, that, that inner witness, you feel that that's something you've worked on consciously and built up. Because I, I listened to something you said before and someone else, uh, I think you were describing a moment when you were maybe in fifth year in school, right? And you were saying how in fifth year in school, despite becoming on to have a fantastic professional rugby career in Ireland, England and France, um, you hadn't made your senior cup team. And you kind of said to yourself, well, I'm paraphrasing yourself here now, but you kind of said that, Right, you you appraise yourself as not being fit enough, and you decided to use your lunchtime to go to the gym and do some laps at, at dog hours at o'clock at the night. So, was that internal witness something that you've molded from that point as such, or do you think it's something that um, can be molded in in everyone really? I do actually absolutely think that yeah, it takes you know it takes a lot of courage, it takes a lot of honesty to to um, mold it, but those are two of the values you will strengthen by. Um, by having the, um, you know, by working on that relationship, I, I, I wasn't conscious, like, I wasn't conscious that I was doing that, I was, I was working on some other level, like, I, I can't say this was in my head, and I always knew about it, I, I wouldn't even say two years ago, I mightn't have even been able to articulate it, it's just been, um, it's just been uh, kind of something that I've become quite aware of through, uh, well, through these expeditions and through um, thinking a little bit about them, because I get asked why a lot, and I'm yeah. trying to think, you know, because I want to give people um, a genuine, uh, I feel there's a duty on me to give a genuine, honest answer, so I, I kind of do ruminate a little bit on these questions, you know, and I, I've kind of come to this um, stage where, you know, I realize that's what, that's what I have been doing, like now, you might call that witness uh, your intuition or your internal compass or something like that. But um, yeah, I, I um, so it's it's always getting stronger because I just keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing and keep going back to it. And you know, um, as with Enton, you know how do you get good at something? You practice it a lot, like, and, and that's what I do, and that's why the relationship is kind of in a really good place at the moment. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. That, uh, that relationship with yourself and how you prioritise that and have prioritised that, I suppose, is not a key pillar of, of all you've done since. Um, there's there's something, because I knew I was going to chat to you today, Damien, and it just so happened in school today, we had a speaker in talking about exceptionally able kids. So this is uh, something in the curriculum, I suppose, is kind of ignored, is the kids who are exceptionally able, right? And uh, for the most part, we're talking about kids who are exceptionally able at maths and English, Okay. So they're on about, um, oh, there's no point, it's, it's quite boring, it's actually not even interesting what, what they're on about really. They're like just extending the task, making it harder for the kid as such, you know. 
but um, I was asking the facilitator about so when that kid is working with a kid who is not of that ability not nowhere near that ability if we rate those kids in 1 to 10 we're talking about it, a 10 out of 10 versus a 1 out of 10 right Very, just on an arbitrary measurement and how does that kid actually work with the kid who's the 1 out of 10 and actually realistically harness their talents and the facilitator was saying things like oh if the 1 out of 10 kid can't read maybe they can do a voiceover on the project this kind of thing and I was like, well, probably the 10 out of 10 kid is probably going to look at that 1 over 10 kid and say, I don't really want them doing the voiceover because I'll probably do a better job anyway, right? So just hold that thought for a second. After all that you've done, right, and your professional, like, as a professional rugby player and your expedition since, h- how does that impact on your relationships with other people? Like, do you, do you walk around with any sort of, like, resentment for people who aren't making the most of their life? Um, I, I, I'd imagine you don't, but just how does that play out for you? Because... The scenario that we talked about today always, we talked, fleshed it out a bit, involved the exception of a kid just becoming almost a victim of their own success and resenting their, their talents and they brought in all these archetypes of what happens to these children and like five out of six of the archetypes are kind of dropouts and failures and they end up having mental health problems as such. So in your context, how does your achievements influence your relationships, if, that's, if that even forms a question? Yeah. Just, just, just in your own life. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it does. Well, so the one word that stood out there was like for me was kind of having resentment for other people. I don't know, not at all. Like I, I think um, if you live this type of life, um, you know, you you live very close to the, um, an edge. You know, and sometimes you go over it, and that creates um, a lot of humility because um, you kind of realise your own um, your own whatever um, limits to a certain extent, or you've seen them now, and maybe they don't scare you so much. I mean, you keep going back to that place and back to that place. You know, you become very aware of yourself, and um, so so with that, then you don't really get that like uh, it just keep like. It, Humidity keeps you humble, like so. You don't really kind of try and um, push that on other people, like because you understand it's it's part of the choices you've made and your journey, and you know if it doesn't interest other people, it doesn't interest them, you know. That being said, I do think there's so much more in people than they even have any fucking idea, you know. And and um, when I get a bit of pushback for what I do, um, I always kind of. I feel a bit sad for people because they're letting fear make decisions for them and fear get in the way um, of them exploring life and sooner or later they're going six foot under like I am and like you are and I think it's just sad that people let fear get in the way of them doing something that would make them a little bit happier and a little bit more content you know now that's a, that might sound really condescending for no. me but it's just been me being honest you know because um, you know cliche and all that but we do only have one go at this like there's no dress rehearsal so you might as well do what the fuck you want with it and uh um and and some people um yeah they just they don't what for whatever reason you know there's there's whatever way we're conditioned or you know many layers you know um but many layers of um protection that we've built up from from the time when we were kids you know so it is um it is difficult to get through them but 
yeah, it's a very, very sweet journey when you do start to get through those layers and do start to see some of the power you're capable of. Because, um, you know, I, I don't believe any of us are exceptional in any way. I think we're all very similar, you know. We might have, you know, physically certain um, attributes that other people have or don't have or whatever. But, you know, I think just we're, we're, all, we're all so much, uh, we're all um, capable of achieving so much more. If that, if that answers your question, I'm no, not sure. But. No, it's it's brilliant. It's, it's honest. It's uh, it 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 made me there. I almost forget what we were doing there because I started thinking there just when you started saying oh, we're capable of so much more. And it's it's no harm. I'm, I know certain people kind of warm to that stuff more than other people, and other people will probably get the like you said, my push against it a bit. But I think it's it's always good to have someone tell you that, not necessarily a teacher. In my job, because you want to be diplomatic and this kind of stuff, and you want to be sensitive. But no, no, that was exactly what I, what I um, what I wanted to that question. So thanks a million. Um, I suppose just just again, I'm 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 asking you to reflect on your own life, here, Damien. Um, if we if we go back to that moment there when you kind of decided to take maybe great responsibility for your performance as a rugby player, and you mentioned the word conditioning there. And I suppose in the ecosystem of anyone, school is quite close in that conditioning. It's probably a strip back behind fam- friends and family at that age, at least, just in terms of the breadth of time you're spending. Um, what were the key influences on you making that decision at that time? And did school play any part? And if it did, what part did it play? So, well, the story is that I was like fifth year in the dish with the school in Galway. Uh, season had finished, so school was obviously season. Play the game. I definitely hadn't started the game anyway. Um, and you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. <laughs> Some people might say I might even say I don't really still know what I really want to do. But like at that time, um, the only thing I loved doing was playing rugby. And um, I don't know what made me realize that like, well, if you want to do it, it's up to you. Like you know, so. I don't know, I just one night, um, I, I made a decision, like you said, I committed to it, that decision, and I, I just said I'm going to get fucking fit, and I went up to Galwegians, which is up the road from where I live here, and uh, first night around two and a half laps, and I was, I mean, bent over by lactic acid, and basically just a, a weak mind, you know, but uh, I was back the next night, the next night and every night for 30 nights I was back, and um you know, when I look back, and I re- like reflect is the word you used, like that was the kind of, um, that was the cornerstone of the foundation to where I am now in my life, you know, that making, realizing that you can raise your own personal standards, taking responsibility for your own shift, committing fully to something, learning the value of hard work, and persevering through that hard work. Because like two years after that night, or roughly, I signed my first professional rugby contract. Um, and school, like school didn't really have much, um, it didn't really play much of a, a factor in that decision. Only that I knew I didn't really want to be around school, like, you know, as in I didn't really want to, rugby was what I wanted to do. And then, right, you want to do that? Well, that's what you have to do. Well, you need to, firstly, you get fit. So I kind of just took responsibility and went and got fit, you know, because 
I didn't really see any other options for me that I really wanted to do, you know. I, there was none in a, in a million light years of competing with rugby. So, um, so I just took a chance on that, you know. And, uh, not a chance, but I just committed to it and went for it. Yeah, no, that's that's brilliant. I'm, I'm blown away there about going for 30 days straight and just you can see how that's led the blocks. Or anyone listening can see how that's probably led the blocks and probably predicted a lot of your success that kind of mindset at that age. Um, I, I did want to throw something at you there. There was a quote I saw during the week from your man Fred Douglas. He was uh, a social campaigner for the black rights movement there for America back in the day. Um, he said, it's easier to build, it's easier to build strong children in than repair weak men. So, I suppose your opinion on that, just just almost to preempt what you're saying, is because I know you take a lot of personal responsibility for what you do, was you wouldn't see school playing any meaningful role in that if it's going to last, would you? Sorry, could you repeat that question? Sorry, would you see in, in, in the role of building strong children, if you're talking about meaningfully strong and going to sustain that over a lifetime, could an external agency like school realistically play a role, or do you think it has to be something from within, like like it was for you? No, I, I, I could, of course, yeah, because coming back to your earlier question about conditioning, you know, um, that's such a, like, as you know, you're, you're so um, susceptible to strong influences there, and it's a really strong, positive influence, you know. Um, I think that's going to be embedded in you, you know, by the time you do become a young adult and you'll just have really strong values or, or, you know, the beginning of what may form into really strong values if you practice them. Um, and I suppose the opposite is true as well, like, you know, and that's maybe where that guy was kind of coming at from the weak angle, you know. Um, but it's definitely, I think it's definitely harder to be strong than it is to be weak. You know, it's harder to build, build uh, values like that make you strong, proper. I'm not talking about like physical strength. I'm talking about courage and honesty. You know, um, it's hard to be those things, especially when you're a young, a young teen or even younger than that. You know, and there's my God, I remember when I was fucking a teenager. <laughs> All I could describe the inner stuff as is turmoil. Like I didn't know what the fuck was happening. You know, but. Uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what made me, I can't remember what, like, what values I had in me or the beginning of what values I had in me to make that decision to get fit. But I obviously had something inside me um, that was, that was kind of a, a base to kind of push off, you know, as in um, the values I had. But, since then, it's just been a slow kind of rolling ball, you know, just kind of gathering up layers and layers and layers and just trying to feel things through and, and um, yeah, become like, you know, just become a better version of myself in many different areas, you know. I'm not sure if I'm going off topic. No, no, no. When I'm talking about that, a lot of my um, analysis that I would get is through feelings, you know, so if I do something or I say something or I take an action and I feel, get a shitty feeling from it, I question that feeling and I go, well, okay, I didn't like that feeling, I would like less of it in my life, what do I have to do to change that? And on the opposite scale, I did something, you know, it might be fucking something really simple, held the door open for someone, that made me feel good, I need to do more of that, why did it make me feel good? 
I like that feeling. Let's do more of it. And you know, and that's the way I felt I built my kind of um, character. Maybe is the word. I'm not sure, but you know, that's that's helped me progress a lot. Just identifying with those feelings and and being honest with myself what they were. Um, and sometimes it was it was really hard. You know, sometimes you see parts of yourself you really don't like. You know, but I, I you can change them. You know, so. Um, and I, I feel I have changed a lot of stuff myself I don't like, and I feel I continue to do that as well. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. Um, I suppose to to give more context to what I was saying there was, uh, so from working in the areas of disadvantage, when you see the kind of cyclical nature of the generational problems, so you see like a kid who was struggling in school, age 12 and six class, and by age 18 might have their own child and they're struggling. And it's rampant, the cycle of it. So in terms of breaking it, I suppose you're trying to build children up and reverse engineer back from people like yourself, people who've demonstrated mental strength and you're trying to instill those values in them and hope that they'll be the pioneers to break through. Um, so, so that was supposed to just give them more context to what, to what the question was, in case that wasn't too clear. Um, given we're given so many outs now you know oh it's okay to be this way and it's okay to be that way but sometimes it's not fucking okay you know sometimes you can like um sometimes you need to build a bit of perseverance and a bit of willpower you know by going through hard times and if you never build that you're never going to come around to being in a um you know building those strong values you know what i mean so i i just feel like that you know, someone like you, you and your job, you'd be doing a really good job with your class or whatever, but then, you know, when they're outside of that, they could be given all sorts of outs, so then the condition becomes diluted, you know, and then they're going, well, but this, it's always easy, it's always easier to go easier rather than to go on the hard route, you know, and kids are going to take the easy route because they don't know any different, even if you're trying to build into them, you know, the hard road is, is sometimes a really good road, if you just persevere and work hard on it, you'll come true. So uh, yeah, I can only imagine how, how difficult that is. No, that's that's brilliant. I feel I, I feel what you're saying there for the people I know who might be listening to this is very necessary, and I'm taking a lot from it as you're saying this. Maybe something I'll be listening back to. I think that there's a subtlety to that message when you're saying certain things are not okay. That the subtlety of what you're saying there is very important, especially coming from someone yourself who can back up. It's not just a theory. It's not just someone who's read a book about it. Um. Just to kind of stress more bit off topic, Damien, I suppose we're, we're looking at, I, I would talk to you about the, the, the specific environment of someone from a disadvantaged area, but in the broader scheme of things, we are looking to build strong, strong, reliable men and women, and that's going to form the nucleus of a, a good society, I suppose. Um, one thing I, I asked that lad, in the, uh, Dave, in the happy pair, um, was about his time traveling. And he spoke about traveling being massively influential on his business and his persona and how he's adapted his mindset from there on. Uh, he talks about a period of about three years in his 20s when he went. Um, I know travel means a lot to you. I know it's something that you prioritize in your goals. And I know that you said that age 22, your first tra solo travel was to Budapest, I believe. Uh, can you just talk to me about your philosophy about traveling? I hope that's not too broad a question, but like how important do you feel it is for you and on the main, I suppose. Um, well, it's really important for me. I, I'm not sure if I have a concrete philosophy behind it, but uh, 
I just I, I love it. I get so much from it, you know. Um, there's something very special about standing behind the um, the sliding doors to a new country, you know, out in the airport or even if you're crossing over land. Uh, it's very um, I always find it very um, exciting, you know, because you just don't know what you're going to face. Um, I remember one of my first trips with um, um, a few mates. We went to South Africa as 19-year-olds just to go out and play with a rugby and train and enjoy ourselves. And uh, just been, I remember been landing in Durban and just been, when we went out, just been hit by this cacophony of noise and smells and, um, you know, energy that I'd never experienced before. I still remember it vividly, you know, some guy trying to grab my trolley and I was completely, completely naive. Like, I'm not sure how much I'd been outside Ireland at that stage at all. No, a little bit, but like never that far away from home. And, yeah, and it just, I suppose that was maybe the start of my kind of um, love affair with travel and just, you know, the, the experience it tro- experiences it throws up. And then, as with anything in my life, I just tried to go deeper and deeper and deeper because, I, you know, I, I like it, I love it. Um, it brings a lot to my life, you know, it brings a lot. Of, I find you get into a really, um, uh, a really thoughtful kind of mind. Uh, like when I'm moving around countries, be it trains, planes, automobiles, bikes, whatever it may be, um, get into a really special kind of thought process. Just that space, you know, that freedom gives you great perspective on your own life and what you want to do. Yeah, those getaways, you know, from uh, the kind of clutter of everyday life into the freedom and the expanse of the world. Are just addictive to me, you know. Um, even now, I haven't been well, I haven't really been away in a few months, and I've massively itchy feet. I'd love to get away again, and um, uh, and yeah, just roam, just roam around for a little while and experience um, a new culture, a new country, uh, meet new people. And you know, the more I give to travel, the more it gives back. You know, that kind of raw I like to do, I've, I've become to do it quite raw now, you know fly into a place and kind of make my way from there um, it always seems to give back more the kind of roar I do it so um, it just opens your mind you know if you want a better word like you know for, for people who, who might be considering it or you know um, or might be considering going to a country that scares them a little bit it just opens your mind and then broadens the way you think about things you know like Believe it or not, not every country in the world is, lives the exact same way we live here in Ireland. You know, people have different ways of living. And sometimes you need to go and see that. You know, sometimes you need to go and experience it. And um, yeah, it just uh, it, it, um, it helps so much in kind of uh, opening up your mind and broadening broadening your perspectives. And yeah. It's, really important thing to me and something I found uh, something I will continue to do for the rest of my life I just think it's uh, yeah, the world's a nice place yeah there's definitely there's definitely things regardless of what your opinion of traveling is if you're a complete homebody or you're someone who likes to move I think there's definitely a lot you can take away from that um, been doing a small bit myself I was in from the Miranda Dave from the Happy Pair, 
I spent the last few summers just living in France, just myself for the summer, and I, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, Davis, uh, the guy the, the, you know, he spent he spent a lot of time in Israel. He spent a lot of time in India. I was telling you before there, and he would say the same thing. And I suppose where I'm getting at the question was: Do you think it's fundamental, or do you think it's like again we were talking about that sort of nuance between it's it's probably not okay to be certain things. Is it fundamental to, to get in and get out of your own biases for a second if you're that become aware that in Ireland if you're not living in a big city you're probably from a very uh tightly conditioned village and you should get out of your should get to a new place? Do you think it's it's in terms of education it's something that everyone must do? Or do you think it's person by person again? I would love to see everyone do it. I yeah. think uh, the world would be a better place if everyone did it. Yeah. I think um, I would like to take. I'd like to see people take a little bit more of a um, uh, a rawer approach as well. Like stop staying in like resorts and sequestering yourself into a resort in the Dominican Republic. You know, um, saying you went to the Dominican Republic, no, you just went to a hotel somewhere. Like you didn't see anything about the country. You know. Um, so I'd like I'd like to see people do that because I, I don't know. again, you know, you're kind of overcoming fear here a little bit you know because uh there's a lot of fear mongering uh in the press and we're conditioned to think certain places are you know um scary and dangerous but like the fact is any place i've gone to um that would be um considered uh dangerous or scary um do you know what it's not I, it's just people like you and me trying to get on with their lives yeah trying to raise a family, trying to make some money and trying to be happy and trying to get on with things. And, um, and uh, you know, if you watch the news tonight or any night of the week, you wouldn't think that about those places. You know, you'd think it's full of, you know, all sorts of scary people who just want to do that. Yeah, but it's, it's not like that at all. And, uh, it's not, it's good to see that, it's good to see that sort of thing with your own two eyes and experience it and live it a little bit. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, you know, if people must or not, it's not for me to say, but yeah. like, I, I would love to see more people kind of just push themselves a little bit in that area too, you know, because um, it works It works back really well into internally into you, you know, because you're, again, you're just coming over, overcoming a little bit of fear, but then it's also broadening your mind, broadening your perspectives a little bit, and, and you got to do something cool as well, and visit a cool place, and maybe you met somebody along the way that you became friendly with, you know, so I don't... I, me there's no bad side to travel and I recommend or I would I would love to see more people do it. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Um yeah, I liked I liked what you said there about the Dominican Republic aspect. I think that's a nice uh a nice distinction to draw. It's something that people will again get people to think. Um I suppose again the my where I'm coming from in the three of us in the podcast is about the, the school side of things and what you will be teaching kids in school. And another conversation has drifted in and out of that. But I think it's been educational on the main, uh, feeding in from what I wanted to find out about yourself and your experiences of school and your experiences or your influences around the, the things you've done. Just as a final question, Damien, if you don't mind, um, I know you're in the middle of the Seven Summits Challenge at the moment, right? And I know you spoke there that the process of challenging yourself, becoming aware of your deficits, becoming aware of uh, what fear looks like in yourself is a process that you've committed to for the rest of your life. So when you sit down there, let's say after the roll, or maybe it was before the roll, but let's say after the roll, how do you decide what to do next? 
well, how do you decide your tangible goals? I know you live a lot of process goals day by day, but things like the seven summits, things like the marathon, the Sabbath, the role, how do you decide that's the one I want to do? time you know but i would have put them off because um rugby was my number one priority and okay passion brought meaning and brought fulfillment to my life so um i was i was committed to that i was in that for the long haul and i mean like nothing was getting in the way of that but once i knew uh or once i realized that you know retirement was kind of beckoning um and the body was starting to creak uh I I would have gone back and looked through some of the lists I made, lists of things I wanted to do that I discovered while I was playing rugby. And um, well, you mentioned two of them there: the the Mountain de Sable and the, the Atlantic Row were two of those things. You know, I discovered them like fifteen, fifteen years ago or so. So um, uh, the reason the Mountain de Sable was the first one was because um, you know my body's pretty battered from. Uh, rugby or some of the joints are pretty compromised so I was like uh, I just kind of I waited up and thought like it's better to do it now than maybe down the line at some stage so uh, that was really why I committed to that one and it was the one, first one I kind of saw and discovered and was like oh man that's definitely for me uh, when I came back from the MDS then I kind of only took a month off and I, I've I kind of feel like I need something to be aiming for, I need something to be training for. I just I prefer training that way, you know, instead of just going for the sake of training. Like training is to get better at something, right? So um, uh, the row was the one I committed to then because, uh, wow, the row was the big one, was the huge one, like the, the big scary one. Uh, not, and not because it was an Atlantic row, because the whole campaign around it was very new to me, like... Uh, I really wanted to push myself on the charity side of it, you know, so do some, um, put yourself out there a little bit and do some events. Uh, and then, you know, I had to try and finance it some way. So I would have had to kind of, uh, I would have to uh, drive that myself, approaching sponsors. That may, That's something I do not like. You know, I don't like, I'm not very good at selling myself. Um, and uh, yeah, that was something that I just wasn't looking forward to. But, it was all part of the campaign, and it was another area that I could learn from and push myself in. And and then I got to row in Atlantic; it became good, like you know. So, so those that was kind of the decision process around them. What makes the Seven Summits a little bit different is I didn't really think I'd ever try the Seven Summits, um, just because I'm not really made for mountaineering, just my my size, I suppose. But um, you know, I, I and I thought I would do another uh, ocean row. I came back from immediately when I was coming back from after the, the Atlantic. But uh, I don't know, I just kind of had a good think about it and thought it might, uh, the, you know, the, I, find, I find mountains extremely challenging on a, on a different level to rows and, and, and marathons like um, the Mountain de Sable, anyway, ultra marathons, because it's the lack of oxygen elements, not having that oxygen. Um, really means that you know you're in this hyperventilating state for hours and hours and hours and a lot of mental strength is threat control so not having that so basically a lot of what happens on mountains is all about kind of mindset and mental strength um so that was an area i saw that could potentially be something to grow you know by going through this and going into that so that's kind of why i committed to the, the mountains 
um, and I just thought it'd be really, really, really cool thing to do. Um, you know, I go to a lot of countries I've not been to, I get to stand on top of them, you know, get to learn from the challenge, the experience, the journey, and uh, yeah, and hopefully achieve something pretty cool. So that's kind of was the thinking behind that, but I, I definitely didn't have it in my head for a long time, which in fact actually makes it mentally harder because I think when these things are in your head for like 10, 12 years or whatever it was, and you're coming back and forward to them, back and away from them every now and again, just thinking about when I'm going to do that, it just puts you in a really strong mindset. You know, you're, you're kind of, um, you're uh, programming your kind of subconscious a little bit. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that, you know, over a long period of time. Whereas I don't, I haven't done that with the, the seven summits. So I'm trying to kind of accelerate that a little bit. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, one thing that just crystallized in my head there when you were speaking was, I can't, I can't remember the exact quote, but the other one is your greatest fear is not how much you can do, but is of your inadequacy or something like that. Something about your greatest fear is just how inadequate you can be. And I suppose hearing you speak about how you plan these things almost in simplistic terms and just, yeah, I thought about it. It was in my head. I did it. That kind of way. Um, just that kind of quote seemed to, to crystallize in me. And I think that's realizing that you might have the raw material to do something like that is, is very inspiring. It's I know you talk a lot about motivation. Might get you out of bed one day, but drive is what sustains. I think inspiring. That was, as you were speaking there, was quite inspiring for me and I'm sure for other people as well. Um. I want to give a small shout out, Damon, just so that you get some use out of this interview. You said you're not very good at selling yourself. I know you raised over 80 grand for three different tragedies, uh, charity based in Rwanda, Modern Dog Rescue, and Doctors Without Borders. Um, can you talk to me a small bit more about your charity work and, and what that means? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, you know, these things are like, they're, first and foremost, they're for me. I'm not, not saying I'm doing them for charity. Um, but I think it's a really important part of the of the challenge that you you try and do something bigger than you with it. Uh, that's something that always appealed to me. And um, I saw a lot of when I was in when I played with Leinster, I saw a lot of the lads. They did look like amazing charity work, you know, in the group. Um, a really selfless stuff, and I it's just something that appealed to me, and I. I kind of put two and two together there with that at that time going, well, I'm going to go and do these things down the line. And I, I really liked kind of, uh, you know, they're, ex they're, I think they're extraordinary things to do. So uh, I'd like to try and raise some money at the same time. And what a great opportunity to do it for some causes that are, are close to me because, um, you know, not everyone is in that position to do it. So, yeah, um, the first one was with the Mountain Disabla and I, I, was quite safe with it. I just did it online. Uh, didn't really put myself out there too much outside of like uh, friends and family on Facebook or whatever. Um, because, uh, well, I suppose fear and because uh, fear of failure as well. I wasn't too sure if I'd actually complete the bloody thing and look like a gobshite, but uh, thankfully I did. Uh, and then uh, again, another step forward. I wanted to really push it with the row. So, um, uh, so I, I committed to doing some external events, you know, where you're absolutely the face of it. And, you know, if it goes wrong, it's, you know, you will look like a gobshite. So thankfully it didn't. And the events went really well. We did a 24 hour roll. We kind of got a team thing going. And um, I think there was about 37 or eight of us did that. And then we did a, I did golf day and then uh, did a black tie dinner. So yeah, uh, that cut the, 
you know, had a massive contribution to, to the to- overall total of that. And, um, pretty cool, like, because, you know, out in Madrid, they were able to put an extension onto their um, kennels that they had, you know, a little kind of uh, extension for the puppies that get born out there. And then down in Rwanda, we've been able to um, nearly, very close to completing a, a new school for the kids, you know, down there. So it's for their orphaned and street, street children, kids down there. So, um, yeah, like literally something concrete has come from this, which is, you know, really nice. Uh, and, uh, yeah, something I'm, I'm very kind of happy I did. I'm a little bit proud of it. A little bit proud of it. Then, um yeah, you've been you've been unreal with your time. I'm very very humbled with your time, considering uh, just how inspiring your chat has been. Um, there's other stuff I'd like to chat to you about. I know recently you decided to break the Irish in no rowing record, probably just for the crack. Yeah, you, you you talk about the Wim Hof breeding. I'm very interested in learning about that just at the moment. But then, where's the best place for people to to find out a bit more about you? Well, I have a website, uh, DamienBrown.com. Um, <laughs> I just, again, it was part of the rowing campaign, so I started it up. Um, but probably social media, probably Instagram is the one place I'm most active. I don't really do a lot on Twitter, or I do a bit on Facebook from time to time, linked it with my Instagram. But I like Instagram. I do some photography, studied photography in Paris for nine months. So uh, it's something I'm interested in. And um, and I you know bring my camera everywhere with me like so onto expeditions and all that so i like to think uh i try and get some good shots and share it there uh from time to time and you know now they have that story feature i try and put up so a little bit of my own life even though i don't like doing it because i i i don't like doing it too much because i think uh it, you're not um programming a really healthy thing to do you know but uh, i i i kind of understand that um uh, if I'm going down this kind of route, it's something I have to do. So I, I, I share a little bit of my daily stuff or, you know, maybe a few times a week on there. So so that's the best place, basically. Brilliant, brilliant. Damien, Damien Brown, thank you so much for your time. You've been an absolute gentleman. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. There you are. There is uh, episode seven of the podcast with Mr. Damien Brown. Um, whatever you're listening to this on right now, if you could give two seconds to give the podcast a like uh, a rating and a subscription um, that would really help the podcast to grow and massively appreciate it uh, so there you are uh, big happy Christmas to y'all and we'll chat you in the new year